This is Growing Pulse Crops, and I'm your host, Tim Hammerich. Today, we talk about pulse crop variety development with Dr. Nonoy Bandilio of North Dakota State University. So the zero tannin lentil that we have in the pipeline, it doesn't have tannin or there's minimal tannin, and it does not have any brownish color, which I would say, in my opinion, is not really a good characteristic of the seed of lentil. Dr. Nonoy Bandilio is an assistant professor and pulse crops breeder who directs the pulse crops breeding program at North Dakota State University. He says their ultimate goal at the program is to develop and release varieties that maximize economic return to producers and to provide high quality crops to the pulse crops industry. Nonoy is the only full-time plant breeder focused on pulse crops at NDSU, but he says he works collaboratively often across disciplines with professors and researchers in areas like pathology, agronomy, weed science, and entomology. Nanoy and I discuss some of the key challenges facing pulse crops that are being addressed through genetics, uh, some of the varieties that his program has released in the past, and some exciting new lines that are in the pipeline currently. To kick things off, I asked him how he sets priorities for the program, given the variety of crops, conditions, and needs that exist out there for pulse crop growers. The way we set up the program is based on market demands and the priorities that that farmers, you know, are uh, putting on. For peas, for example, in North Dakota, the market demand is about 70% yellow, yellow pea, and I would say uh, 20, 25% for uh, green pea. And then the rest are the smaller market classes, such as the porridge type, don, marufat type. Those are smaller market classes of peas. Those are within peas, but uh, you need to allocate as well efforts for chickpea and lentil. And in North Dakota, if you compare the three crops, I think number one is peas, followed by lentil, and then chickpea. The way we, we allocate efforts is based or proportion on the market demand. And prior to his current position, Nonoy worked in other crops, namely rice, soybeans, sorghum, and corn. He says the plant breeding basics are all the same, but of course you have to understand the differences in biology from one crop to another. And pulses have some unique characteristics and challenges that direct the focus of his breeding efforts. I would say the major challenges in pulses, like any other breeding program such as soybean, I feel like we are coming to a point where we are reaching the plateau for increasing yield. That, that's one thing. And another thing is the number of diseases available for pulse crops are just a lot. And there are only limited people working in the area of research targeting pulses. And so the amount of development we could make just to catch up with those, I would say maybe not enough. And so I would say yield is staggering. That's one thing, protein content. We might be able to increase that because we have some genetic resources for that. And then the disease resistance, it's always a challenge, particularly for chickpea. For example, in North Dakota, the cultivation of chickpea is mainly limited because of ascochyta blight. And so our goal is to always collaborate with multiple breeders, not just within the U.S., but all around the world to get new source of germplasm or materials that we can use for the program. So given those priorities and challenges, what does a collaborative effort to improve pulse crop genetics look like exactly? Well, Nonoy provides an example. I joined the program in 2019. I'm fairly brand new, okay? 
And uh, we got this new project funded in 2020. It's funded by Foundation for Food and Agricultural Research. I'd say it's a $1.2 million investment, and it's a collaborative project between NDSU, Montana State University, Washington State University, and some collaborators from USDA ARS at Washington. Okay? And I feel like collaboration always starts with figuring out the important biological question that should be highly relevant to producers. And right now, I feel like the demand is mainly on plant-based high-protein peas. If you just look on the market, it's about, I would say, close to a $9 billion industry. And it's becoming increasing. It's because uh, mainly the population is preparing for healthier foods. That's one of the main reasons. And due to demographic growth and urbanization as well, I think that the market demand for pulses has just increased. We need to catch up that market demand. And so what we did was we we're trying to come up with a project that would understand the genetics of, of producing high-protein peas. And uh, the problem with producing high-protein is it's affected by the environment. So if you grow one cultivar here in North Dakota, and if you compare that, if you grow them again in Montana and Washington, chances the protein content would be different. Okay, and that's because it's highly affected by the environment. And so we now need to know what would be the underlying genes or genetic control that cause the plactuation of protein content in peas. So I, I feel like if we could identify that, the genetic control, I think from the breeding perspective, it would be way easier for us for, uh, to breed and to select more accurately. We are collaborating with multiple breeders. For example, we collaborate with uh, Dr. Kevin McPhee from Montana State University. We collaborate with Rebecca McGee from USDA ARS at Washington. And then we also collaborate with Dr. Clarice Coyne, who knows about the germplasm collection in, in the gene bank. And then we collaborate with other folks who are working on food science, bioinformatics, quantitative genetics. And yeah, I would say it's a big team. It's multi-state, multi-collaborative. And the, I think the major goal of collaboration is sometimes I'm a breeder, right? And I don't have relevant knowledge. Maybe I don't have a fuller understanding of what's going on in bioinformatics, for example, and what's going on with, uh, with agronomy. So the goal of uh, you know, collaboration is to bridge the gap. And the major goal is to develop the best product for the farmers. You might have recognized some familiar names there amongst those collaborators he mentioned as former guests of this podcast. And that example, of course, was in peas. So let's talk more specifically about the breeding efforts in lentils and chickpeas and what the priorities are there. Well, for chickpeas, specifically, I think our goal is to develop a more resistant chickpea against ascochyta blight. That is a major limitation for producing chickpea, at least in North Dakota. I think that's the same issue that Canadian folks are facing in their growing regions. And uh, yield is also, you know, one thing. When I was talking with my, uh, my mentor, who has been in the breeding industry for like 30 years, I asked him, what was your major objectives in the past 30 years? He said, number one, seed yield. Number two, seed yield. <laughs> number three, seed yield. So it's always about, you know, increasing the yield and at the same time protecting the yield against diseases. And then for lentil, the major challenges with lentil is we have multiple 
market classes in Lentil. Market classes meaning multiple products or cultivars being grown just to target a particular market. For example, they are divided by seed color and seed size. So we are working on red and, and green. And then for each color, you need to divide them by seed size. You have small green, for example, medium green, and large green. And so if you factor both seed size and color, the market classes just increase substantially. And so our goal is to produce high quality lentil, increasing seed yield, and then protect against diseases. At the same time, you know, retaining the quality within each market class. Over the years at the NDSU Pulse Crops Breeding Program, there have been several milestones. Amongst those, and perhaps most importantly, the release of four new cultivars. To date, the program has released uh, four new cultivars. The first one was released in 2017. The first variety was ND Eagle, which is the first high-yielding lentil cultivar. And the Eagle is adopted for as small green lentil. And then when I moved to the program in 2019, so we have a good materials in the program and we started releasing this uh, promising lines and we have two additional lines that got approved in 2020 actually. We have Andy Dawn, which is the yellow pea, which is the first high yielding yellow pea cultivar. And then we have Andy Crown, which is the first high yielding large kabuli cultivar. And the major problem when you talk about uh, chickpea production in North Dakota and Montana is the ascochyta blight. It's a highly complex disease. However, the ND crown that we released here in 2020, that has uh, a moderate resistance to ascochyta blight. So I feel like farmers has the option now for growing that variety in North Dakota. And if you compare the performance of ND crown, uh, Kabuli chickpea to other cultivars, I feel like the ND crown has lower severity and when it comes to ascochyta blight. The other one is in the victory that got released in 2022. And that is another market class of, of peas. So there are two major market classes here, the yellow pea and the green pea. And the dawn is for yellow pea. And then the and the victory is for green pea, which is about 30% of the market in North Dakota. And as these cultivars get released, it does take a while for them to become commercially available for farmers. ND Crown, for example, was released in 2020, but there should finally be enough seed this year to be available for farmers. The, the major problem when you release a cultivar is you need to have a huge amount of seed. Prior to getting it released to farmers, the NDSU is requiring about 2,500 bushels. That's a lot of seed, okay? It does approve for release in 2020, and then we started to increase 2021, 2022. I think it's now becoming available in the market, but at the same time, we are working on the plant variety protection for this cultivar. I feel like hopefully by this year, this ND crown should be available now for, for the farmer's field. And in addition to those four cultivars that Nonoy described for us, the program has another eight lines in the pre-release phase of the pipeline. So uh, releasing a cultivar in North Dakota, it takes two-step process. One is the pre-release lines, the pre-release step, and the other one is the releasing step. The pre-release lines is the committee is determining the merit of a new line to becoming a new cultivar. So by the time we got the pre-release, the amount of seed is not that relatively big. 
like I told you, the committee is requiring about 3,500 bushels for peas and 2,500 bushels for chickpea and lentil. So after the program got a line, a new breeding line got approved for pre-release, then the next step would be to do the seed increase. And then once you satisfy the amount, then that's the time the new cultivar will be released. So we have three peeled peas, and then uh, we have four lentils, and I would say one chickpea. And then in terms of peas, we have about two yellow pea and then one green pea. And most of them, I think the characteristic that merit their release is high protein, high yield, early maturity, and the standability in the field is just excellent. Now, we won't go into all of the details for all eight of the pre-release lines on this episode, uh, but I did ask Nonoy to talk about one that he's particularly excited about. I'm really excited about this zero tannin lentil. It's called zero tannin because the tannin is the one that causes the oxidation process that causes the seed to turn into brown. So the zero tannin lentil that we have in the pipeline, it doesn't have tannin or there's minimal tannin. It does not have any brownish color, which I would say, in, in my opinion, is not really a good characteristic of the seed of lentil. Every year, we have this... Uh, I would say variety trials. And so every company, they sent their lines or the, the new lines, the new coffee bars, and they want it to get tested at NDSU. And I feel like there would be no zero tannin lentil that got submitted on variety trials. And this could be a first one at NDSU. And uh, I have to check whether other programs have developed this. But uh, I, I would say it should be the first one in my opinion, but I could be wrong. And as it turns out, it was just too difficult for Nonoy to pick only one he's most excited about. He's also looking forward to developing and releasing some pea lines as well. The major challenge in a green pea is the, the chlorophyll pigment that makes the, the seed coat color to be green. However, through time, that green color got faded and it affects the visual quality of seed. So what we have now in the pipeline is we have this characteristic called bleaching tolerant line. And so basically what it has is, even if you store the seed in the long term, you know, the color of the green pigment is still uniform through time. And because it does this bleaching tolerance characteristic, it doesn't bleach. <laughs> That's what I meant. And the bleaching causes the green color to get faded through time. So bleaching tolerant peas and zero tannin lentils. The future of pulse crops is looking bright. But in addition to these types of characteristics, disease resistance, yield, protein content, and flavor all remain high priorities for pulse crop breeding programs going forward. I feel like in the future, for chickpea, for example, so Andy Crown has moderate uh, resistance to ascochyto blight. So we started to think, is it really possible to develop a poorly resistant chickpea line that is well adapted in North Dakota. I feel like it is a possibility, but we need to coordinate this effort with a lot of breeders around the world, not just within the U.S. and Canada. I'm talking about global collaborative effort. This is a highly complex disease, and our program is fairly new relative to Canadian programs. They've been there for quite a long time. The NDSU program has been here for like 15 years, and a breeding program is a long-term commitment. It's a long-term process. It takes 10 years to release a cultivar, more or less. And I would say there are no 
perfect cultivars to date. That's why plant breeding programs do exist. Private breeding programs do exist because of that. But what we can do as a breeder is we want to develop a better cultivar you know, that gradually improves the resistance, for example, gradually improve the yield, the protein content, and we're taking into account a lot of, uh, you know, characteristic. Another thing I think in, in terms of future of a program is the breeding for play bar. There's a lot of specialized uh, restaurant now, specialized market that requires different characteristics for a cultivar. And uh, sometimes breeders, we do know the science, but sometimes there's a gap between, you know, what the stakeholders need for a cultivar. And I feel like my suggestion there is we just need to keep talking to each other, be honest on what we know and what we don't know, so that we could take into account whatever they need into a new cultivar. And that level of collaboration is extremely evident when targeting genes for disease resistance. Nonoy and other plant breeders work closely with plant pathologists to understand the mechanisms for disease resistance and to try to develop varieties accordingly. What we do to have a fuller understanding of the mechanism of any disease, we collaborate with plant pathologists. So it's a collaborative effort. So the plant pathologists, they would provide us, you know, what are the important pests or diseases, you know, in North Dakota. You know, that needs the breeder targeting poor for making new cultivars. They know specifically the biology of the isolates, for example, the specific isolate or pathogen causing the disease. They know that. And that is the breeder limitation. Most of the time, we don't know those, the biology of the disease. But what we can do, however, is we can genetically map what is underlying those disease that causes the symptoms in plants. So we use the symptoms caused by the disease, let's say the leaf severity, the reduction on the root size, for example, and the amount of uh, damages on seed. Those are the things we use to genetically map and characterize a particular disease. And going back to the question of uh, qualitative versus quantitative, okay? So qualitative trait, if you genetically map that, chance is it is controlled by one or two genes. And from the breeding perspective, if it's controlled by one or two genes, we can easily integrate that into the program. I would say not easily, but straightforward. Maybe that's the right term. The reason is because they are one or two, you can easily track them. Now, the problem is for diseases that have very complex architecture, like aponomyces root rot, the posarium root rot, and ascochytoblite, for example. It is a highly complex disease. And, uh, you know, there's been a lot of resources that got devoted into this. But because of its complexity until now, we're still trying to figure out, you know, what's going on. Could we really, you know, identify the genes controlling these traits? And even if we identify those, let's say a thousand of those genes, could the breeder use that information and integrate that into new cultivar? And that is the idea in a new technology called genomic selection. You know, transferring genes, one or two traits, it's straightforward. But if we're talking about thousands of genes, it's not going to be easy. But what breeders do now is we're trying to use this technology called genomic selection. Instead of, uh, you know, transferring them one by one, what we do is we use the information and predict the outcome of whether a particular breeding line will have a disease or not. 
it's like the 23andMe algorithm that the information that they use. So they're using these genome-wide DNA markers across the genome and trying to predict whether you could be you know, prone to disease like diabetes, for example, or maybe cancer risk or something like that. It really is amazing what plant breeders like Nonoi are able to do, especially considering the complexity of both the genetics and the environments in which these crops need to thrive. To close out today's episode, I asked what one message Nonoi would want to share as a plant breeder to farmers and others in the industry. So I would say two things. I think farmers need to understand that there is no perfect cultivar. And the reason for that is because the environment keeps evolving. And so the pathogen that causes disease, they keep evolving. This is why breeding programs, whether it's in private sector or public sector, do exist. It's because it's a continued process. And to date, I would say there's no perfect cultivar, but you can find the better ones. And so you just need to fully understand what the production environment look like, what are the diseases that your environment is prone with, and what are the varietal attributes or preferences they need for a variety so that it would be successful in the future. Yearly, I attend this Northern Pulse Grower Association annual convention. It's a great avenue, not just for me to get connected with the farmers, but also to get to know what are the information they need for a particular variety to be successful in their farm. If you ask them individually, chances the answers would be different. For quality, for example, at the farm level, the quality, we're talking about the uniformity on the crops, the uniformity on plants, uniformity on height, and of course, high yielding. If you talk with the elevator, it would be a different story. They're asking for you know, the uniformity on seed size. For example, for high protein pea, for example, they're looking at at least 24% protein content. And if the protein content is less than that, the farmers produce will get discounted. Okay, those kind of things. And number two, it is a continued process and it takes time. And uh, breeders are working on multiple traits at the same time. And some of them, they have antagonistic characteristics. For example, the protein and seed yield are the two great examples. If you increase seed yield, chances the protein content will go down or vice versa. And so what we're trying to do is we try to increase the seed yield in such a way that it would not cause a lot of decrease or a lot of uh, decrement in, in the protein content. So I, I always want to deliver the best product to farmers as, as we can with available resources. And uh, those are the two things. It takes time. It takes a lot of effort. Yeah, but we're trying what we could to deliver the best product. Well, I want to thank Dr. Nonoy Bandilio for being on the show today. It really is amazing what plant breeders like him are able to do. But I should say he's the first to emphasize that it really takes collaboration across disciplines to make it all happen. If you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe to this show, the Growing Pulse Crops podcast, so you don't miss our next episode with three experts on aphids and aphid vectored viruses. Dr. Lyndon Porter, Dr. Sanford Eigenbrod, and the voice you're about to hear, Dr. Sean Prager. Over the last few years, the aphids themselves have become a problem, especially in faba bean, but also in lentil. We can have complete field loss just from the aphids themselves and those crops. You don't even need the virus in that case. 
So again, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss that upcoming episode. The Growing Pulse Crops podcast is overseen by the Pulse Crops Working Group with funding from the Northern Pulse Growers Association, the North Central IPM Center, USDA NIFA, and the USA Dry Pea and Lentil Council. We're releasing these episodes two times per month throughout the season, and we want to make sure the information stays relevant to you. So if you're finding it useful, we'd love it if you'd leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or both. And feel free to tweet us by using the hashtag Growing Pulse Crops. We'll be back with another great episode in a couple weeks.